Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode is brought to you by Shutterstock.com with over 26 million high quality stock photos, illustrations, vectors, and video clips. Shutterstock helps you take your creative projects to the next level. For 30% off your new account, go to Shutterstock.com and use the offer code TWIP7. This week on TWIP, wedding and event photographer Daniel McGarity discusses the changing landscape and commoditization of the wedding photography industry. Also, Chris Roberry, the guy behind GreatAmericanThrills.net, discusses his passion for amusement parks and his quest to document America's healthy obsession with thrills. It's Thursday, July 25th, 2013, and this is TWIP. Welcome back to TWIP. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Daniel McGarity loves gin and craft beers, but what he loves even more than those things is shooting weddings, and only weddings. He's an expert in the business, and he sat down with me to discuss some disturbing trends he's seeing that might just affect all wedding shooters. Okay, wedding photographers, uh, a little something for you guys. I'm here with Mr. Daniel McGarity. He's a Baltimore-based wedding and event photographer. And uh, the way that that uh, Daniel and I con- uh, kind of got in contact with each other was he emailed me and sent me this email about just sort of outlining the state of the wedding photography industry from the standpoint of what I call the McDonaldization of the industry with these big guys like Bella coming in and and doing good enough work, some would say, and charging nothing for it and taking the money out of the pockets of photographers like Daniel that are doing the the sort of artisan, real-type wedding photography. So I invited him to come chat with me about this and sort of outline just what the state of the industry is, what's happening here, you know, where is it going, and what can photographers that are aspiring to be wedding and event photographers, what can they do to keep viable and to make money so they can stay in business? So, Daniel, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Trevor. Thanks for having me. No, it's my pleasure. Thank you for that email. That was that was insightful. So let's let's talk with that. First, before we get into it, a little bit about your background. Like, who are you? What do you? You know, I know you're a wedding and event photographer, but just take me through your how you cut your teeth in this stuff. Um, started out in so many different ways, uh, like so many other people. We had other jobs, other careers, and then picked up a camera, started to do things. Now, when I picked up a camera, it was more than 10 years ago, so I learned on film. Then when I went back to school, when I moved back east out of thir- after 13 years in Texas, started on the east coast, moved to Texas, back to the east coast. I went back to school because I wanted to learn film because yeah. to me, if I have my hands in chemistry, I know what that's going to be like. I know how, I know that the dodge and burn tool in Photoshop has something to do with something real and that you actually held in your hand. Yeah. Controlling levels, all those sorts of things. Layers had things to do with actual photographs. So I went back to school for that and thought, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to be take up all these photography classes and then I'll be good enough to do all sorts of things. Like so many of us think we're artists. We have an ability to create with our minds and compose. So I went to school for photography here in Maryland and then came out and had some acquaintances, one who was getting married. So I said, I'll be your plan B photographer. Mm-hmm. Thinking I was going to come in, take some pictures at the wedding. 
Well, her main photographer, a woman named Karen Sayer from Icon Photography, excellent photographer, said, no, 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 we're not having any of that. But if you want, you can assist. I wasn't going to assist for that wedding. I assisted at a different wedding. And from day one, I was hooked. That ability to be behind the scenes and capture everything was fabulous. And to know that what you're doing is putting something on the walls of grandchildren yet to be named is fabulous. So I was hooked and proceeded to work for two, three years with Karen as a second assistant, learning everything. And as every photographer who has done it for a certain period of time, gotten yelled at, been the scapegoat for a lot of different things. But you you develop a skin for doing it and you also learn an, an eye for what needs to get done. And hopefully you also say under your breath, I'd never say that to my assistant, which, of course, you always end up doing. <laughs> yeah. I'm never going to do that to my kids. And then, I, will yeah. never t- I will never yell at my assistant. Yes, yeah. you mm. will yell at your assistant because you know they never move as fast as you think you ever did. So then I did that. Now, when I was a second and ready to become a first, you, you can only do so many weddings. So I went to Bella and another company named Canda Image. Bella Pictures at the time was the... 100-pound gorilla in the room, a 300-pound gorilla. However many pounds that gorilla is, that was Bella. Mm-hmm, Canon mm-hmm. Image was one of the smaller locations, and there's a, a number of other smaller companies that produce um, wedding photography, video, and different sorts of services for people who are out there. Um, so a bride goes on the knot and says, I need wedding photography. And then these four or five ads come up, and nine times out of ten, these four or five ads, they are with companies. They're big companies, companies that have lots of subcontractors underneath them that say we have professional photographers. And to someone who doesn't know anything about wedding photography, because until you get engaged, what do you need to know about wedding photography? Mm -hmm. They contact them. They are speaking to great salespeople who communicate with them and tell them all about how great these things are. I worked with these companies back in the time when Bella was focused on becoming a more premier level event photography company and candid image was sort of mid lower to mid tier level. So these companies, um, just, just to put a, a fine point on it, these companies like Bella um, are, they, they came in and they capitalize, they capitalized on or capitalized on the, like you were saying, the, the, the bride that, Hey, I just got engaged. Now I need to get educated on this stuff. So they're not, it's not like you become a wedding photography expert, um, before you get married or before you decide that you're going to get married. So they, they then went in and, and provided that first touch point for all these people that were getting engaged that had no idea what prices should be and what all this stuff. So they were that first layer of the first level of engagement. And then underneath that, they hired a legions of subcontractor photographers who they would then farm the jobs out based on location. So you, I would go and say, Hey, I'm getting married. Um, and I'm in Northern California and I need a wedding photographer. And my price range is this. And then they would say, okay, you go to John Doe. He's going to do a great job. Then they take, then I pay Bella and Bella pays the photographer a a percentage. Okay. Okay. Got it. Okay. Okay. So yeah, continue. I just want to make sure we set the stage of who these guys were. That's all correct. Now, what they would do is they would talk with the clients and try and figure out things about style because every salesperson knew of 15, 20 different portfolios of, of work. So they would, if, if you said you liked photo documentary and you liked candid pictures, well, Frederick does a lot of great over-the-shoulder work with a telephoto lens when you can see the tears, and that's a great candid picture. This is the person I want to send off to this person. 
Um, Daniel does a lot of stuff where he puts mother and father beside each other, has someone tell someone else a joke, so there's a natural real laugh without ever telling a smile, but they're really kind of posed, and then he concentrates sort of subconsciously on the light, so he's more posed, so this person wants sort of a mix, so I'm going to send them to Daniel. Whereas Gary does strictly traditional tallest to smallest belly buttons here, everyone's smiling a big smile. That's sort of the Monty Zucker school of photography, that's the person we're going to send there. Yep. So the salespeople knew who was going. And then when you take it out to a national level, you get a lot more people to use and subcontract. But there are always more people coming into the mix. So what Bella did after the company that Bob and Don Davis and a number of other professional photographers created to be an elite tier, sold it off to a corporation. And they started to aim for the lower and lower income input part. So their idea was through sheer scale of uh, people coming in, they were going to make money. Mm-hmm. But there's always someone who can make less. There's always someone who can charge less. There's always a Craigslist person who's willing to charge for 500 bucks, 400 bucks, 300 $200, and I'm going to give you the CD. Yeah. yeah. Buy me a cup and of coffee, and I'll shoot your wedding. Pretty yeah, Pretty much. I have a friend. And then on the flip side of that, you have technology increasing, increasing, increasing. People who talk about, oh, we did this with an iPhone. I did this with my camera. My uncle has a photo- has a great camera. Yeah, He's got yeah. a beautiful camera. It's going to be good. Well, put in the middle of that, the photographer who really does a great job, works on craft, has more than a couple years in the business and has done seconds and knows a lot of people in the network and in the event industry and has a really good name for themselves. Well, they've established themselves at a certain price point. And now... You have all these other people saying, well, we can do that, but for less. And the problem is you're dealing with a client base who is increasingly exposed to sales, living social, Groupon, fill in the names of what you want, photo dough, among other things. Mm -hmm. And I've never known a photographer wants to pay full price for anything, so we're not immune to that. But the thing is we have this culture of sale, which then lays the foundation of, well, everything is negotiable. And the problem is... If you're trying to run a business, create a business plan, you really can't negotiate in terms of 50% of what you charge, which when you look at some of the more popular groups and popular um, mass photography groups like uh, Candid Imager Bella was, and for a while David's Bridal was trying to become, then you really have to find a way to educate the client base the client base who has at this moment is yet to be engaged and know that they need your service. Right, right. You have to find a way to get into their perception and lay down the groundwork and said, this is what art costs. Right, right. If what a true artist, wedding photographer, or you can call a wedding photographer is, an artist. Is that, is that a solvable problem? Because I, you know, it's, we know we're we're in the eye of the storm, right? So we know what goes into creating this this kind of stuff. We know that it's art. We know all this, but when you're when you've got somebody that's that uh, is looking at money, which we all are generally, right? Except for the top what point oh five percent. So most of us are looking at and pinching pennies and saying, okay, this is how much I can afford for that. But they don't reconcile that against okay, if if I pay a little less, 
that guy's going to do it. And they, you know, you know what I mean? I mean, they don't get the, the metric of, okay, that guy is better than that guy. They're both photographers and they're both professional photographers. They're both going to do a professional job that's better than what I could do with my point and shoot. So I'm going to go with the cheaper guy because that's the cheaper level of insurance. It's like buying a cheaper, you know, a cheaper insurance plan than, you know, <laughs> right. So how do you reconcile that? Right up until something goes wrong with that cheaper insurance plan and right. you find that your deductible is a thousand dollars or you find that it doesn't cover this or doesn't cover that or you go out of the state and it's not covered. Yeah, that yeah. anyone can call themselves a professional photographer it doesn't require anything more than being able to spell the word professional and photographer. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they even like to get a little extra crazy with that. Mm-hmm. The thing is, you're dealing with a client a potential client who has probably for the most part never purchased professional services at this magnitude before a wedding is a big event you're hiring people who are doing things that you've never hired before right and the thing is you're approaching it more than likely within two months of finding out that you needed to do this so you filled up your computer screen with as many different things you purchase wedding magazines and you're now sifting through information that you still don't have any touchstone to provide you any thing other than your friends who have done it one time right sometimes twice and if they did it twice you don't listen to them anyway because they have a bad sense about the first time yeah so but in a a way it's kind of like it's like skydiving right so if you if you you know you go with the the cheap skydiving company you get to make that mistake one time right but then then it's over I like that metaphor. <laughs> right? But it's over. Yeah, you feel free to use exactly. that if you want. <laughs> you only get one chance to make a mistake. Yeah. what it comes down to. Okay. Um, so you hit that point and you've got to try to find a way to reach out to the clients who have yet to know that they are clients. And the real way to do this, at least in my person, my humble opinion is um more photographers have to be connected. Mm-hmm. You have to know me, you have to know my work, I have to know you. I have to know a network of photographers in my field across my economic zone. And then nationally, globally, there needs to be a way to raise the awareness of what good photography is versus good enough. I was at one of Cliff Mautner's uh, seminars last July and Dane Sanders was there. And he asked Cliff a question. He's like, well, what do you think about these Nikon versus Canon, how good the cameras are getting? Did you think that's kind of working against us? And I said, I kind of respectfully disagree. I think what's working against us is the concept of good enough is good enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I'm not suggesting that every wedding, everyone who's getting married has a different perspective about what's important. I tell my clients, you want four most important things, whatever those four things are. If one of them is photography, we should talk. And for a lot of people, they don't realize it, but photography isn't that important to them. Right. That's okay. You remember in the day, you remember back in the day when good enough meant the picture came out you know, you remember that phrase? Oh, that came out. That's good. That's a good shot. And this is when you were like shooting with film on your little, you know, instant camera or whatever. And you send them off and then you open the envelope and half of them sucked and the other half were, were oh, yeah. kind of OK. And the ones that were kind of OK were good pictures because they were exposed properly and you could see the people in it. Right. That right. was good enough. All right. Your parents' house. You had that giant basket of pictures that never got you. <laughs> we had a drawer. <laughs> well, there's a new word for that. That giant drawer it's called facebook yes yeah that's where everyone's crappy pictures go to never get looked at again yeah and so many clients want great pictures yet have no idea what to do with them right right they're not when was the last time you had a client who did a portrait and wanted a 30 inch by 40 inch portrait 
uh, <laughs> last week. Yeah. <laughs> sure. sure. I said a few of them. Yeah. I complained about you. They said, oh, my God, they were too big. We were too good looking. Exactly. Um, it just doesn't exist. People don't like pictures of themselves anymore. The society has changed significantly. We don't produce that. So what we're producing for is a smaller, more digestible format that people can share with others. So as a wedding photographer, we have to figure out how can we do that. When the iPad first came out, and I forget who used to put the pictures on the iPod, on the iTouch. Remember the shuffle? Mm-hmm. And they would put all the pictures on that. And that was great. That was new. But, you know, in six months, everybody had a shuffle or an iPad. So that yeah. Yeah. you don't really gain anything from that. So you've got to figure out a way. Every person who's a wedding photographer has to figure out a way to make what you do so invaluable to that client. That when they look at your work, they they clutch their chest. Right. It's got to have that emotional value to it. So fast forward to fast forward to today. What's the state of the you know the Bellas and that the democratization or McDonaldization or whatever of that that industry? Where does the industry sit right now? Because you were working under that. You were one of those those subcontractors, so it impacted your business. Now what? What happened? You hit a point, as any wedding photographer will, where you've got to make more money, where you see all the rock star photographers who live in the great places and tell you how great you can be. And you realize, well, I got to make more. So working for these companies that provide me with four or five hundred dollars for a shoot, even though they tell me I don't have to do post-production or anything else. Well, it's still only four or five hundred bucks. Do the math and figure it out how it comes out to per year, how much you could potentially make. And it's not that much. Mm-hmm. Whereas then you go into your first thing. So you're now competing against that. Right now, as the time we're speaking, David's Bridal has shuttered its photo booth operations after saying, we want to do bridal photography. Well, they don't do it now. Um, they were aiming for the $1,000 or the $500 to $1,000 bride. That's the one who's coming in. She's buying her dress there. Um, one in three dresses on the East Coast, Eastern Seaboard are sold at David's Bridal. I don't know what if they're multi if they're national or not, but they were trying to capitalize on that very important thing. Well, most of the photographers here were quaking in their boots, mm-hmm. not because the quality was better, but because the price point is enough to get in the heads of someone going out. They are going to talk to somebody about their wedding about their wedding dress. And then they're going to be right there. And then there's that time to pitch the wedding photography. You don't have to spend that much. That's the state of the state. We have a difficult time competing against different companies that exist that say we can do the same for less. Mm -hmm. The race to the bottom for all these companies, and it doesn't matter what company it is, they're always race for the bottom. Because there's always another company that can come out and that can do it cheaper. It's like Walmart, so, right? It's the, it's the same thing with, with Walmart. Wal- the Walmart of photography is what, what you're talking about. Very much. Did you know Walmart actually bought Bella? I did not know that. You're kidding me. In 2012, Walmart bought Bella and then they were doing Bella operations inside Walmart. Walmart shuttered that in about six months. And then they tried to reconfigure the operations and they just said, this is too much. And then have since sold it to the company I mentioned beforehand called The Pros. Wow. Pros is centered in York, Pennsylvania. Um, they're sort of a one-stop shop for all things wedding with the exception of flowers and food. So this is where you go. Now, if you've ever been to a Sandals resort or a cruise or something like that, and you like that all-in-one experience – People who like to travel will look at people who go on cruise ships and go, 
it's not the same thing. Mm -hmm. People who like to travel, who go to different vacations that they plan for some look at sandals and say, that's not the same thing. Event professionals look at things, these all-in-one events or all-in-one companies and try to point out that it's not the same thing. And that's the battle, right? That is the battle because those companies that are the all-inclusive have much deeper pockets and can market better. The most I can ever do in a, in a Saturday is one wedding. Let's say I become this great photographer and I've got two or three photographers who work with me and they are part of my company name. That's still two or three. That's not pictures in Baltimore, pictures in St. Louis, pictures in California, pictures in Venice, Italy. That's probably just the region. Yeah. But when you're competing against companies that have deep pockets for marketing and can do it all around the country, you're at a disadvantage. Because every time you go into Google, there is a George Street photo or a pros advertisement. You're, you're always against that. And it's always at the top of the list because they pay for that placement. You are always trying to get better and get known. And the difficulty is it's purely economics. It's as long as you can commoditize wedding photography, meaning photographer A is $500 more than photographer B, as long as you can continue to do that in your own head, then there's nothing that someone, either photographer A or photographer B, can do. Right. You are just lost in that morass because you aren't reaching out to that person. Well, then I, w I would also say if you look at it from a different, a slightly different angle, um, there's that commoditization, but then there's also the market itself self-selects into different kinds of people that you could go after. So you could go after the bottom feeders that are looking for that Craigslist photographer that they don't care. They just want to, they, you know, they're getting married and they just want to throw a couple dollars at it and they have no, they don't put value on wedding photography. But then as you go up the rung to the top of the pyramid, there are people that understand the intrinsic value of of recording these kinds of events and are willing to pay for that. So you could, you as a marketer slash entrepreneur, small business person can aim your guns at just aim higher to quote an Air Force slogan. You could aim higher on that pyramid so that you're not targeting those bottom basements and, and competing for the scraps with the other Craigslist photographers. You could position everything you do like Tiffany's and BMW and Lexus, you know, whatever high-end brand and and attract those those birds with the fat wallets at the top. Is that is that viable? Well, you just named three marketable luxury brands. Right. Just off the top of your head. Yep. Name marketable luxury brands of photographers for weddings. Uh, there you go. There's my answer. Daniel McGarity. <laughs> well played, sir. Well played. But until that actually becomes you and I could say Jasmine Starr. You and I could say Jerry Giannis. You and I could say a whole list of people who, if you're not getting married, that means nothing to you. No. And hello, Tempest in a Teapot. Outside of the wedding industry, we're unknown to the general population except to our friends. Yeah, it's like when you when you, you your your pipe spring a leak in your house. You're not an expert on plumbers in the area. You don't care, you know, that this plumber is better than that plumber, and you. 
you're not in that mindset until you're in that mindset. And now you need to quickly become an expert so that you can not get burned on, you know, getting the wrong plumber that's going to screw up your house. So you try to get educated real quick and you hire one kind of based on reputation and kind of based on price. And you pull the trigger and cross your fingers, right? It's the kind of the same thing with this service. It's a service, right? It's a service exactly industry. What it is. Yeah. The service industry in general has always been that way. You just need to get to the top. So it's impossible to commoditize Frederick Van Johnson because there's only one. Right. But to someone who has no knowledge of the service that Frederick provides, then it's, then it's impossible to provide a value. Right. If I know there's only one, I know there's scarcity. If it's scarcity, that must mean it's, it's valuable because a lot of people are talking about it. But if I don't hear any of the talk until I want to just put my ear to the door to continue with ridiculous metaphors, I'm going to get to a point where I go, oh, everyone's talking about that guy. He must be good. I better call him. Right. The trick trials and tribulations of every wedding photographer who does not ascribe to the wretched refuse at the bottom is to find what is an increasingly dwindling number of higher end weddings because you you can easily exceed with supply of photographers the number of good ones versus the number of clients who are looking for that tier of work. And then, of course, the higher up on the tier you go, the fewer clients there are. But every photographer would, as would aspire to be able to do such a thing. It's just being able to get on their radar screen. How you get on their radar screen? Well, there was a magic formula for that, despite being sold at many different uh, conventions in and around Las Vegas every year, which we won't mention. And getting on TWIP, by the way. Oh, and getting on TWIP doesn't hurt. <laughs> but the idea is you've got to find the formula that works. You mentioned your ideal client. Well, you've got to find where your ideal client goes, what your ideal client likes to read, all those sort of metrics. Pinterest is a fabulous way to do those sorts of things because you can put a lot of things out and you can get a lot of interest in what your, your work provides, but you've got to follow up on it. Nothing is static now. Yeah. The thing that most photographers forget is that top tier photographers right about now make between 10 and 15,000 per event. Some a little bit higher, but let's just call that the average. 40 years ago, it was the same price. Hmm. 10 to 15,000. Wow. wow. So that's, that's maintaining and inflation's going this way, right? Exactly. And what we have to do as photographers, I, have to, I had to put together a NAS box. I had to figure out how to use free NAS to put together an operating system so I can go through all that sort of stuff. I promise you, most photographers don't have to do that. Right. I just take it upon myself to do it. But I also promise you, 40 years ago, photographers didn't have to do that. They took it to the lab. They had a work. They had a working relationship with the people at the lab. They could say, push that one for two, you know, pull that one back on two. The toe on this one's going to be a little bit crazy. Yeah. Uh, uh, it was really dark in the church. But they also had fewer things to do. They controlled their environment a lot more. I hate to sound like an old fuddy-duddy, but there was a greater degree of craft than the spray and pray concept that goes on now. Right. right. Um, and the, old, was, the dreaded, the dreaded continuous high, right? <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. Exactly right. And there was no post in Photoshop forty years ago. Right. And no raw. Yeah, and no raw. Well, there was raw. It was well, called, it was raw. It was the film. Yeah. It was called film. Yeah. Um, but those things, rightly or wrongly, are no longer part of the genre. So what is really incumbent upon every wedding photographer now is to show why they're different, not why they're the same. 
why they're the same, then you've got the blogs that are all about wedding details and all that sort of stuff. And between you, me, and whoever else might listen to this, I, I love wedding details. They're, they're lovely. They're beautiful and that sort of stuff, but they're not the wedding. Yeah. The wedding is two people coming together to make a commitment for life. The tears, the laughs, the hands holding, all those sorts of things, those moments together, combined with the great portraits, combined with all the details, combined with all those things. Details are at the very tail end of those sorts of things, yet most clients, potential clients, or most people who are getting engaged, that's the first thing they see are wedding day details. Yeah. The ring dress, the mason jars. Oh, my God, the mason jars. We got to have the mason jars with the candle inside. Isn't that adorable? Oh, you know, these are great, but they're not wedding. Yeah. They're stuff. Show me a photographer who can sit back on the wall and wait for the bride's lip to tremble. Or show me the photographer who will sit patiently up in the choir loft with a 200 millimeter lens aimed down looking at the groom because he knows from speaking with his client that, that groom is going to lose it when the bride walks in. Yeah, because he lost it during the consultation, so definitely he's going to lose it on stage. Exactly right. Yeah, Find yeah. out with your same-sex couples. Who's the funny one? Don't make assumptions. Assume, Ask them all sorts of things. Yep. Find yep. out those things. And, and as marriage equality sweeps the country, thank goodness, you know, put it out there, thank goodness, you're going to find more and more emotional elements of those sorts of weddings because they are no longer kept in the closet and away from everything else. So if you shoot same-sex weddings... Get to know your clients. One of them's a crier. I promise you, one of them's a crier. Yeah. One of them's gonna laugh at the other one crying. Those are the sorts of things that you can't find out with just a run-of-the-mill wedding photography company. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're not gonna to be, know you. There's not gonna be that. You're, you're another. You're you're like uh, another drop of chocolate in the Willy Wonka factory. To continue with the analogies, right? <laughs> Right. You're just on the assembly line. Here's another client coming through. Let's funnel them out to section A, and you're going through. Whereas with 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 the one on one of an artisan type wedding photographer, event photographer, then there's that personal contact and relationship building that that happens. So that which then leads to better pictures, rather than okay, here's a checklist that that company provided me. I got to make sure I get these thirty shots, and if I get these, I did my job, and I can go to McDonald's afterwards. Right. That's right. And every wedding photographer struggles to identify themselves as an individual. And that's laudable and that's what should be done. It's just how we go about doing it when when we are literally going up against big companies with deep pockets that can, that can commoditize us and just say, here are the Oompa Loompas. You really don't care about Willy Wonka. Right. You want the Oompa Loompas. Right. And right. we got lots right. of them. <laughs> so go right ahead. See, okay. I love Get it. Get right in there. All right. But, well, cool. You know, it's not... It's not an impossible task, but it does require a full-time constant uh, of, 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 uh, of presence of mind to do these sorts of things. You can't just do it on a whim. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, the, the other tier of wedding photography that a lot of the professionals and I... Other tier as in plateau or tier as in... Tier as in group. <laughs> okay. Are the photographers who are supported by their spouse. Ah, who can afford to charge less. Oh, right. It's all right. about sharing. The photographers we, with a safety net. <laughs> exactly. We want to share with you your pictures. We don't want to charge you for your pictures. We can't bring ourselves to do this. And they've got great equipment. They've got the time to do a number of things. They can meet and greet. 
And they're not bad photographers by any, some of them are excellent, mm-hmm. but they don't have a functioning business. Right. They have a business that sort of sits on the side. It's a nice place in the house. Like I said, their, their, their spouse can afford to have that go on. It keeps them occupied. And they also create a, a sideways pull in the business. And that sideways pull is this siren song of roses and chocolates and being able to identify with the client, which is great, but it doesn't charge a professional rate. A professional rate is one, by my explanation, and I would assume maybe even yours, I could pay the mortgage on. Yeah. yeah. If I'm single, I have a house, I have a business, the bills are paid through my business. Yeah. To a lot of these hobbyists, and that's a terrible word to use, but um, they're not the same as an operating business. They're professional, but we call them advanced amateurs is what we call them. Yeah, yeah they're not. They're not. They're not. Uh, they don't derive more than fifty percent or whatever percentage the IRS says. Exactly. Uh, you know, for their income, yep. which is classified by the IRS as a hobbyist. Yes. Uh, yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, that is a hobbyist. Yeah. So. The IRS would classify these people as a hobbyist, so they pull the market sideways, and they are legion. Yeah, they are everywhere, yeah. and the professional photographer has to compete with that as well because there are those people. Now, our only saving grace for those people on the side, on the gray market side of wedding photography, is that they don't market as heavily as, say, the big national companies because they only want to shoot twelve or fifteen events a year. Which, again, boggles my mind how you can ever keep your business afloat with 12 weddings a year unless you're charging 60000 per wedding. Yeah. yeah. But um, that being said, it's they have a, de- a definite and consistent effect on the business that professionals like myself and like a number of people that I associate with have to contend with as well. It's difficult. Wow. It, there's, mm-hmm. there's no easy way around it. But I don't think anyone ever picked photography as a career because it was easy. Some people do, you know, some people, you know, they, you know, that the whole paper napkin sketch or, Hey, here's my Excel spreadsheet and I can charge this much. And if I just do one weekend, if I do two weddings per weekend for 52 weeks, look at that number, look at how much money I can make. I could live in Baltimore. (laughs) Yes. But on January, December, January, February, and March, you are not having two weddings a week. Yeah. You're not. That's the thing that all photographers have to deal with. We've got that dead zone. So when we put up our taxes and we tell our accountant, well, between in this quarter, it's a goose egg. It's all going out. It's not coming in. Mm-hmm. This is why we get these sort of funky things. Good accountant. Very important for a great wedding photographer. Um, so there is that reality of every wedding photographer of the dead season. I don't know what it's like in your neck of the woods, but I know here... December, January, February are consistently sort of the low end. Yeah, it used to yeah. be years ago that June was wedding month. Well, June's friggin' hot most of the time in most of the country. Yeah. And who wants to get married in Oklahoma right now in June? Because that's a time when you've got lots of terrible storms and all this. Stuff, so you build around it. Well, here in Baltimore, down in D.C., certainly in, in Georgia, July and August. These are not big months for weddings. What's happening in this market, you've got April and May, September, October, and now November. November, you have many fewer things like hurricanes. So you then have to sort of function your marketing to get for these people when they're going to be looking because people don't get engaged and then get 
their wedding photographer and then get their and then get married. They yeah. stage it, yeah. and it's yeah. cyclical and. It's a mess. It's a mess. <laughs> well, well, that is that. Fine? What's parting shots on this? Is the when you when you zoom up, you know, and look or zoom out and look back at the wedding photography industry right now, is is it a mess or is it is it still a viable career path for for photographers that are saying, hey, I want to jump into that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow Daniel's path and be the second shooter. Is it viable or should they, you know, go into something else? If you have the ability to bide your time in terms of being a second shooter. And that means you're not someone who needs to be spending or paying the mortgage. Mm -hmm. Um, Then I would say do it. Right now it's the Wild West. It absolutely is. And for the smart, savvy, people will only need four hours of sleep at night types, this is the time that you can really establish yourself. Because the economy won't always be this way. It's cyclical. There's no way around it. It will get different. It will get better. There will be more regulation in some places. There will be less regulations in others. You will need to get out there and get to know as many people. Networking is more important now face-to-face than it was, say, 10, 15 years ago because now everybody has a camera. Yeah. And anybody could be a professional photographer online, but do they conduct themselves professionally at events? And that's where the face-to-face getting to know people are is a useful tool. There is no simple way, but this is probably this is the best time to figure it out if you're starting out. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. is the worst time to figure it out if you've been doing it for 15 years. Mm. Good, good advice. I love that. Well, where so where where would you like people to go? I know you've got uh, you got Daniel McGarity, and that's D A N I E L M C G A R R I T Y. Your first last name, photography.com. Um, I was trying for a longer name, but they I, my keyboard broke. But <laughs> DanielMcGarityPhotography.com is your URL, or they can just Google you. Though I'm sure they'd be able to find you that way, right? Google me. You can certainly find me another thing. And you know that's that's the other element. Daniel McGarity Photography is soon going to be sort of global me, and then I'm going to have a spin off a separate wedding website, which would be the other thing I would tell the newbies: don't show everything. Weddings are separate. Weddings are special. Assume they are for your clients because you don't go to a wedding photographer's website and want to see pictures of your feet in the Bahamas. Yeah, right, right. It's great to see the little kids, street kids in India, but they have nothing to do with the weddings here in Baltimore. Yeah. It's glad that you travel. Glad that you do other sort of work. I love the fact that you got Bill Clinton and your thing, but it's got nothing to do with my wedding. Yeah. You want to stay focused on your voice as a photographer in whatever field you're doing in um and go from there but what daniel mcgarity photography is where everyone should come and 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 connect with you cool hey well well, thanks for thanks for coming on daniel i appreciate this uh i think the people that watch this are going to get a lot out of this they'll be they'll be enthusiastic they'll be they'll be happy and they'll also be a little depressed at some point (laughs) so no this is good hey this is the reality check Welcome to my life. That's everybody. That's everybody. If you're everybody. happy all the time, then you're not doing it right. I love it. Cool. All right, Daniel. Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. That was Daniel McGarity. You can connect with Daniel through his website over at DanielMcGarityPhotography.com. Before we continue with the next interview with Chris Roberry, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Shutterstock. 
This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by Shutterstock.com. At Shutterstock.com, you'll find the perfect image or video for your next creative project, whether it's for your website, a publication, an advertisement, a video, or another type of project. You can choose from over 26 million high-quality stock photos, illustrations, vectors, and video clips. Shutterstock sources images from around the world and puts them at your your fingertips. And many of the contributors to Shutterstock are professional photographers and artists. And they review each image individually for content quality before adding them to the Shutterstock library. And they add about 10,000 images every single day. So every time you visit, you'll probably find something new. And Shutterstock has flexible pricing, so you can choose individual image packages for, or a monthly subscription for the best deal. So you can download 25 image images per day with a standard subscription, or you can download any image at any time and pay only one single price. Shutterstock gives you the assets you need to bring your most creative projects to the next level and they make it easy using sophisticated tools. You can search and drill down by subject, asset type, gender, emotion, color, and more. And they've added a new spectrum. You can sort images by color spectrum. And many creative teams use it to get inspiration and ideas. Plus, they've got an award-winning iPad app. You can search on the go and use the app to display images during your presentations. Now, Shutterstock is a complete global offering. They've got offices in more than a dozen countries, including Germany, China, Italy, Brazil, Belgium, etc. And they're a true global marketplace for buyers and creative contributors alike. They've got a multilingual customer service department with dedicated corporate representatives and full-time customer support through the week. And one of the images that I've found is normally we, we dive into Shutterstock to find a representative image for this week's episode of TWIP. And this week was no exception. I dove in because we were talking about government and government infringing on cloud services and that sort of thing. So I was looking for an image representative of government. And I found one. I found an image called the Golden Scales of Justice. It's got a gavel and books on a brown background. And that's the one that I picked from Shutterstock for this episode of TWIP. And you too can pick images from Shutterstock. You can just sign up for a free account. You don't need a credit card. You just start an account and begin using Shutterstock to help you imagine what your next project might look like. And you can just go ahead and save those images to a light box for review later. Then if you decide that you want to purchase those images or those uh, the, the content from Shutterstock, you just use the offer code TWIP7, that's T-W-I-P-7, and new accounts will receive 30% off. That's a full 30% off any package. Once again, that's Shutterstock.com. And for 30% off on new accounts, just use the offer code TWIP7. And we thank Shutterstock for their support of This Week in Photo. Chris Roberry was nine years old when he first discovered he was terrified of roller coasters until one day his father encouraged him to ride the tidal wave. And from then on, he became a self-proclaimed coaster-holic. And now he's on a quest to document and share America's healthy obsession with amusement parks with the world through his lens. 
Okay, I'm here with Mr. Chris Roberry. He's the guy that's in charge of all the magic social media goings on over at a little company called Borrow Lenses. Uh, and he is a photographer in his own right, as many of the people at Borrow Lenses are. Um, Chris and I met, I was over there picking up a lens and we got to talking and he was telling me about this project that he's working on, a couple of projects actually, but one in particular is on amusement parks around the United States and maybe the world, I think the United States. Um, but uh, I invited him to come on and he accepted, thankfully, to uh, to talk about the ins and outs of that project and how it's going, how he put it together and all that stuff and, and what the ultimate goal for this amusement park project is. So Chris... Welcome to This Week in Photo. Thank you so much. Uh, appreciate the opportunity. Oh, the pleasure is all ours. So look, before we dive into the project that you're working on, let's let's hear a little bit about you, you know, kind of the life according to Chris all the way up until the Borrow Lenses days. Like what, what sort of got you into the world of photography? Uh, you know, it's funny. It kind of all loops back together to the amusement park. That's where it all really started for me. Uh, back in 1993, I hated roller coasters. I mean, the sight of them would make me just terrified. And this is a little nine-year-old at the time. And then 1994 comes around. It's my grandma's company picnic at uh, Great America in Santa Clara. And my dad says that he's had enough. <laughs> and he decides, <laughs> you know what? You're going to go on the tidal wave today. And I just sort of said, okay, that's cute. Probably just throw another temper tantrum and I'll get out of it. Yeah. Didn't work this time. And I think somewhere after that first loop and kind of coming backwards, it sort of just clicked that – Wait, these are actually a lot of fun, and no, you can't fall out of them. Was there was there vomit involved in that ride? <laughs> actually, no. <laughs> it was just more of the adrenaline. I think I was too excited to vomit. I yeah. think that's the possibility. And so, after that, that next year that we came, I'm all about let's go on some big rides. Let's do something awesome. But we happened to have a very tiny uh, 110 camera uh, in the house, and so just the ones where you would take it and you would. Like, yeah, I remember it was like those, a Fisher yeah. Price camera, basically. Yeah, and I still have those photos to this day. And to look back and say, well, you know what? I actually sort of understood what I was trying to do in terms of photography, but in terms of composition, don't even get me started. Right, right. you <laughs> exactly. you weren't quite there yet in terms of composition, right? Yeah, exactly. Right, right. <laughs> and aperture settings, things, all that of that nature. But that's a one ten camera for you. Yeah. So then, okay, so now, so that's sort of got you your your push into the world of photography. So now, where where are you now? You know, before we dive into the project, the amusement park project itself, sure. like, where would you say, you, are you an advanced amateur photographer? Are you professional? What, how would you categorize yourself in the world of photography? Well, I think everybody today now says that they're a professional photographer. You know, they have an iPad out. They're going like this. I do. I do not consider myself a professional photographer because, though I can take professional level images, I do not derive a hundred percent of my income from photography. So, exactly, that's and a I pro. No income from photography. So, I'm definitely <laughs> not a professional photographer. You are I, a negative I, pro. <laughs> I, exactly. I'm really good at spending money and not actually making it. Yeah. Uh, I would definitely classify myself as a. Uh, an advanced amateur photographer. I know and understand how, say, a D4 works, mm -hmm. but it still scares the crap out of me when I'm holding it in my hands and I'm trying to figure out where the program button is. Right, right. <laughs> when you're trying to get to the program button on the D4. Exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, this is all great and everything, but where is where is automatic? <laughs> exactly. Where is my sports mode? What the hell's going exactly. on? Exactly. You know, people, just to digress a little bit, people people like poo-poo the whole 
um, program modes and automatic modes and all that stuff. But those modes are pretty smart, you know. I call them I call them the targeting computer. It's like you know. In Star Wars, when Luke was flying around using the computer to do all that stuff, and then he, at the end, he finally turned the computer off to, to, you know, to destroy the Death Star. The computer was doing a lot right up until that point. Right? right. The computer got you to the point that you needed to get to. It's like I don't understand how some photographers don't like when they see people with uh, point and shoots, right. and they're usually like younger or just starting off in their their photography. Uh, adventure, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I started off with a um, Olympus C twenty one hundred Ultra Zoom. That was my first foray into digital. That sounds impressive, you, but I have no idea what that is. <laughs> it's a brick. That's what it was, and it used Smart Media. That's how old it was. Wow. Um, it was a maxed out card at one hundred and twenty eight megabytes. That wow. Which I think a, was a D eight hundred can do in like five shots now. That's um, but it's just a matter of. Let that person grow. It's okay to start out small. Not everybody starts with a D4 or 5D3. It's right. not a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's more important to start with something, right? I mean, I've heard a lot of professional photographers. You know, there's professional photographers that are elitists and say, you know, you're not a real photographer unless you have a Canon whatever or a Nikon whatever, you know. And then there are photographers, the ones that I gravitate to, that say, hey, start with this. The important yeah. thing the important thing, and I'm for the listeners, I'm holding up an iPhone. The important thing is to start with something and to start taking photos. Even if you don't, if you don't have a camera at all, get on YouTube, you know, and and start looking at tutorials and and things like that. You know, it's there's no the barriers to entry versus like when I started in photography are way down low now. Absolutely, so there's no excuse not to have not to get out there and. and exercise your vision or follow that project that's been burning up inside you know so speaking of projects what a segue i you know i totally thought about that like five minutes ago i'm like how am i gonna segue <laughs> into the <laughs> so speaking of projects so this amusement park thing that you're working on this this whole thing so take me through it what was the genesis of it what is it you know it sounds exciting and scary at the same time uh, um Yes, but not necessarily for the reasons that you might be thinking. So the genesis of the project started back in about, I want to say, 2002, 2003. I worked on a fan page of a website that was devoted to our local park, Great America. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I was one of the photographers, staff photographers. And by staff, I mean I had my name on the byline and didn't get paid for it. Got it. Uh, but it was the experience working, et cetera. And it just sort of, as the, my equipment got better, I became better in terms of composing my photos of editing them, making sure, and finding out what was a good amusement park photo and what was just like crap. Right. And over the past 10 years, God, I'm getting old, it, uh, it sort of blossomed into not only just the photography side, but also uh, video side and looking up all the old amusement parks that we don't necessarily have around here anymore. And that was mostly just because people remember rides when they're gone. Uh, if you're a local to the Bay Area, you probably remember Willard's Wizard at Great mm-hmm. America. Yeah. Or you, you know, it, those types of memories evoke very strong emotions. And it's actually really fascinating to watch people come to life when you bring them up. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I wonder if you're, I'll ask you this, are you able to capture that feeling? Because when I, when I walk into an amusement park, even in the Bay Area, it's like right in our backyard, right? Great America is like right there. You just go over there. 
Um, but it feels like when you pass through that threshold, you're kind of in a different world a little Absolutely. bit, you know? I mean, I know it's designed to sort of feel like that, but it really feels like you're in a different world. There's all these crazy things around you that are designed to scare the bejeebs, <laughs> bejesus out of you, you know? And I, like my memories from amusement parks, I haven't gone in a long time, but I remember uh, fun, sun, and nausea. <laughs> Those are my memories. Spending a lot of money, being nauseous, and like looking at giant rise. Like, really, I'm going to get on that. Really. (laughs) So, taking it to the 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 photography standpoint, the rides aren't scary. Um, Losing your gear there is, and and that's one of those things that you do have to. That actually does scare me. Is that in many cases my stuff is on my backpack. And I feel perfectly safe in the park, but there are moments where you have to either put your gear down, you have to leave it on a ride station, and that's where all of a sudden, oh, look, there's a $7,000 backpack just sitting right there. Let me just let it walk off with you. I should also stress that I do not, under any circumstance, take any photos on rides. I was going to ask you that. Like, how do you do that? Because I can imagine if you're up there with a D4 that you just checked out of borrowed lenses and you like throw your hands up and the D4 hits the person behind you at 40 miles an hour, that could end badly, I think. There's actually tons of videos online of people with their, and I don't know how they're proud of it, but their cell phones or their GoPros in many cases survive a fall off of a ride because it wasn't properly strapped on or they always bring it out like literally as soon as the ride leaves the station so that the attendants can't stop it Uh. and they can't see it. And yeah, I see these videos all the time and I just, you know, facepalm every time because so that's people, not People are actually putting like, where they like get into the front car and, and suction cup a GoPro to the front of a roller coaster? <laughs> Absolutely. Now, parks will do this too. They, it's called, you know, B-roll. <laughs> yeah, you do it course. on media day. You don't need to do it for, you know, Joe Schmo and, and Billy going to the park and saying, we're going to put a GoPro on, you know, the front of Gold Striker, for instance. Right, right. But we just seem to have that urge to do it because it has to be our ride. Right. Yeah, and it's like my Facebook account. I want to show people, you know, I want to show people what I did. So mm-hmm. then, so let's talk about gear a little bit. So when sure. you're out there in the the well, first let's back up from gear. The Bay Area parks, notwithstanding. What what's the goal? Or is it to cover the entire United States, all the parks, or what? what what's when you're done? What does done look like? Um, that's the good news. Done never happens. Mm. Uh, there's always another park to go to, or that opens up. There's a park that closes, or hey, look, this brand new ride just got put in. So there's never a done to it. So in a way, that's good, but of course, it's also bad and maddening because. I was just here at this park three years ago, and now they have this new kick-ass Woody that just got put in. Darn, I have to go out there and take photos and ride it. Right. Yeah. yeah. What a terrible well, life. Yeah. Is it tax-deductible, right? You can just write it. Oh, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> There's a little buy life the tax form, yeah. So then, okay, so then, so the, so then the plan is to, on a, on a continual basis, photograph the parks in the United States. Are you trying to? Are you going to expand beyond the borders of the United States and and say go, you know, shoot amusement parks in Russia? I'm assuming they have them there. You know, they I do. know they have them in Japan. <laughs> <Are> you... <laughs> uh, I've been to Germany actually for Oktoberfest, and the photos there were just spectacular. Those rides run in manual. They're not like sixteen uh, year olds don't run them there and just push a button and then start texting on their phone. They actually have full manual control, kind of like a camera. Uh, it's the difference between, you know, if the ride is in auto, 
or if the ride is in M for manual. Yeah. And they will control it. I was on a 12-minute scrambler ride. 12 minutes. That's, that's the egg beater thing, right? Yeah, basically, you got three things. And it just kept spinning. Right. And I, I must have been, you know, uh, drinking heavily because I don't remember much of it, but I knew it was really long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would that would have uh, kind of harkened back to that unfortunate night I've had in um, at Mardi Gras in La- <laughs> in in, uh, in New Orleans. So that yeah, it did not end good. So cool. Okay, so then so let's fast forward to gear. So when you're out there doing these things, you're running around. I, I assume you have a set gear pack that you're taking with you. What's in, what's in there? Uh, so it depends uh, because uh, one of the nice benefits of working at Bar Lenses is that the gear can be heavily discounted for rental over the weekends. Right, right. So it depends on, I can switch in between being a Canon guy or a Nikon guy. Sorry, fanboys. I'm really sorry. Uh, and You're ambidextrous, right? Totally. And I don't mind it because they each have their own specialties that work well for what I do. Uh, some of the f- gear that I usually like to get out, any type of fisheye, usually a zoom fisheye, mm-hmm. um, at 24 to 70, just because that's a beautiful piece of glass, Period. Uh, 24 to 70, just on what? Does it matter? Doesn't matter. If if it's the USM2 for Canon or it's just the regular Nikon 2470, I don't mind it at all. It's just a perfect lens for street photography if you're willing to deal with that heavy piece of glass in front of you. And then for photos from a distance, uh, the 70 to 200 is nice, but I recently played with the 100-400, and that just blew it out of the ballpark. Really? A 100 to 400, really? Yeah. You can, I don't want to say sneak in, but you can really get angles that you didn't realize existed with that lens Hmm. and just really get up close and see the people's faces because that's really what the emotion comes from. You know, you can take a photo of a train and you can sort of see like blurry stuff from a distance, but when you got that 100 to 400 and you can see the, uh, the agony in some cases, or just the <laughs> happiness on their faces. Yeah, that really makes a great photo. What's the speed of that lens? Is it two eight? Uh, no, that would, like it, yeah. would that even be possible on four hundred two eight? Uh, I would love to get that through a park, but I'm pretty sure that uh, <laughs> I might have some lens restrictions I'd have to deal with. Exactly, that'd be like the size of a bazooka or something. <laughs> yeah, so I did. I did the f four for that one. Got it. Got and it. it worked just fine. Yeah, for your outdoors and bright sunlight, you you should be fine with whatever, right? It's not about exactly. low light performance. Uh, now there are some photos that you can take at night. It just I mean, you know get in the the tiny tripod and mm-hmm. you're good to go. Yeah, and you do like long exposures of light streaks and all that stuff? Yeah, the, my favorite subject for long exposures has to be carousels just because they're contained and it makes it look like they're on acid when they're spinning really. It looks like it's spinning out of control. What, what do you shoot those with? Do you get up close with a, with a fisheye or wide angle lens and then just like let them go to town or what? Well, like my business card that I put on the back of that one, that photo was like a three-second exposure with a 2470 and a D800. And I literally had just because I didn't realize I was going to be at the park that late, didn't bring my little mini tripod with me. So I just used two fingers (laughs) on a garbage can and just kind of very, very carefully pushed the lens and just held my breath. Wow. And just hoped for the best. And it just came out beautifully. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? That is, that is so cool. You, You have like quite the job there to be able to, I can imagine you going into work and like just seeing this, like wall of lenses and and bodies and lights. And you're like, hmm, I think I want to shoot with that this weekend. <laughs> you know? It is tough to walk by in, in our warehouse and just not just ogle and just go, whoa. Yeah. 
For gearheads, it's just a dream come true. That's totally cool. All right, so let's let's wrap it up. So then, what's next? Right. So are once you are you planning on doing a gallery showing? You're going to build a book. Is it going to be a website? Where where are all these images? These fantastic images that you're making. Where are they going to end up? Well, right now they're all kind of getting stored on my 500 PX page for mm-hmm. now, just for people to take a look at, see what you think. And uh, in terms of the future, I think it's more just sort of building the brand at this point, just trying to show that, hey, Chris Roberry is a theme park expert. He knows the angles and he doesn't look terrible on TV. So there you go. There you go. You look fantastic on this on this video. So I got to tell you, so very I, good. it must be the gear. It must not be me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, awesome. Chris, well, thank you for taking the time today. It's been it's been awesome. Um, uh, yeah, I, I owe you for, uh, you know, for agreeing to do this at the last minute. So this is this is awesome. Not a problem. Any chance we, I get to, to talk with people and nerd out about amusement parks and photography. I'm in. Awesome. Well, good job. So you, uh, yeah, this was a good interview. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I'll probably see you in a week or so because I am now a borrow lenses addict. So I will will be back over there borrowing again, you know. (laughs) We'll look forward to seeing you out here and uh, hopefully see you at a park sometime. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, you know, on that note, we should uh, we should schedule a time to go do, you know, a Great America shoot or something. Well, I mean, a photo walk. Absolutely. I'm sign me up for it. It's really fun to show people because a lot of people don't realize that there's a lot of beauty in the parks. They just sort of see it like, you know, like you were saying before, ride, food, barf, ride, food, barf. Exactly. Once you get past that, there's actually quite a bit of beauty in the parks. You just have to sort of look for them. Yeah. It's a different type of urban exploring. Yeah. It's funny. It's funny, you know, not to break from the ending, but it's like when I, when I go to amusement park, I don't, to date, I haven't gone to one in the mindset of photography. It's always been in the mindset of, okay, we're going to have fun. You know, I got to do all this parking and the lines. And I, I haven't been in the mindset of, okay, I'm going to go here and make some art, you know? And I think it would be a good exercise to like flip the bit and go in there and say, okay, now let me look through, let me look at this place in the eyes of a photographer instead of the eyes of a tourist or somebody that just wants to go home after. <laughs> after becoming nauseous <laughs> well how's the thing if, if you want to come out for a photo walk anytime not a problem but we're still going to have fun yeah it's absolutely. just that we have to intertwine it between taking photos That's yes all. funnel cakes and photography you can't miss it <laughs> oh man you're killing me now oh i gotta get out to the park tonight i know cool Chris. all right man thank you i appreciate it absolutely oh by the way before i ended i mean people are like okay who where, where do where do i go What's the URL that people can go to look at some of these amusement park photos and all that stuff? So you can find me over at my website, which is greatamericanthrills, with an S, dot net, not dot com, dot net. We're still waiting to get the dot com. And then from that homepage, you can see my photography, videos, blogging, you name it, and my beautiful mug. Awesome. Greatamericanthrills.net. That's correct. Awesome. All right, Chris. Thank you. No problem. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. Okay. Take care. That was Chris Roberry. You can connect with Chris through his website over at greatamericanthrills.net. All right, it looks like we are at the end of another episode of TWIP. Once again, you can connect with Daniel McGarity over at danielmcgarityphotography.com and be sure to check out Chris Roberry's site over at greatamericanthrills.net. And to keep up with everything in the TWIP universe, check us out at thisweekinphoto.com and please join our community over on Google+. And finally, if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can find me at frederickvan.com. And with that, it's time to take that lens cap off.
PixelCore.tv production, produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar. <laughs>